Thank you all for being here. More coming in, those online, what a joy it is. Uh, my name is Bill, this is Nick. Uh, hey we have the honor of being involved tonight. A uh, couple of announcements before we do that. Uh, first off, uh, Bruce and Robin, well, they brought many, many different kinds of books that are in the back. Some of them are their, their newest uh, daily reader and there's an envelope in them for those who feel like they would like to donate. The others are in the same really category. Uh, just pick them up. We want the books out. We want them to be able to use. Uh, so feel no obligation uh, to really put anything in, but take the books. That's important to get the information out. Uh, I want to start with just a personal story. Uh, when I was going to school, uh, actually all the way through my school years back in the 40s and 50s and uh, You said this is the way they treat me. This is, it's uh, an adoring laugh. It's a little bit of that. Uh, I, was, I was indoctrinated into the uh, philosophy of uh, evolution. And I didn't realize until much later when I became a Christian at 33 that I had been lied to. And this no pointed to teachers or anything else. Uh, but I've had a growing knowledge of, of God as creator uh, and so tonight we're actually going to explore that and some of the really scientific evidence for that. I've read all, you know, Bruce's books. Uh, I'm a bookie dealer uh, of them. So we're thrilled to have him here. There'll be some questions afterwards uh, also. So uh, Nick and his group have actually, when the spearheaded this, asked Bruce, called him and said, will you come out? And he said, yeah. And uh, matter of fact, he said earlier, he'll go anywhere where they ask him. Pardon? I said, I would love to. I would love to come. And so we're excited about this tonight. Uh, Nick's going to open us in prayer. All right. I'd love to. <laughs> Father, God, ever since the beginning of anything from before all that, thank you for everything you've done from before the beginning of time all the way up to this moment. Thank you for each heart and each mind that's here. Thank you for Mr. Bruce as he's going to come up and share just the, the discovery of the world you've created and the truth about your power, your love, and your life. Thank you for this time we have right now. May our hearts, our ears, and our, our minds be open. Amen. Amen. All right, Mr. Bruce, Mr. come Bruce. on up. Thank come you so up. much. There you go. Give him a hand. So exciting. Wow, what a great crowd for a Saturday night. Thank you for coming out. Um, we're just going to jump right into it because I always have more to cover than I have time to do it. So we'll start at the very beginning. No surprise. The summary statement of everything to follow at the beginning of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that is considered absurd in the world today in an academic setting that a being outside of the physical universe made everything is considered off limits to even consider in scientific endeavors today. Now, I have a whole lecture called The Faith of the Founding Fathers of Science. Almost all of the originators of the science that we all benefit from, where we're talking Isaac Newton and James Maxwell and Michael Faraday and Louis Pasteur and Lord Kelvin and dozens and dozens of others, 
in the starting clear back, uh, you know, with Pascal and others in the 1500s and going all the way up into the middle 1800s, almost exclusively believed in a recent creation by a creator that made human beings, the universe, and all of life. And it stopped none of them from developing modern science. So there is no conflict between the operation and the understanding of science and the belief in God and the Bible. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next four evenings. And yet, the world seems to be totally blind to what God says is absolutely obvious, that he is creator. Now, I do science assemblies in public high schools, sadly, not here in America, because I'm not allowed to. By law, we as a nation have separated church, anything dealing with God, from state, anything run by the government. Clear back to 1948. So by law, you can't bring God in as a possibility when teaching about origins and life and where did it all come from in the public education system today. That has enormous implications of how people come to conclude and decide what is science, what is reality, what is religion, what is belief, because they're trained to think in a certain way. Now, I'm going to, over the next four sessions, give you lots and lots of really obvious evidence that the Bible means what it says in a clear, straightforward way, and it can be trusted to be understood the very words that are in it. The sentences mean what the sentences say, and so on, in context. And it's only the way to deny it is to take other things in the Bible out of context in order to deny what the Bible says in context. And I'll give you examples of that later. So how can the world be so blind to what God says is so obvious? And I'll get to that verse in just a moment. But first, when I'm doing these science assemblies, I will always ask the students, and by the way, where I do them, or in developing nations. So far, we've been in six nations, Fiji, the Cook Islands, Vanuatu, the Philippines, Peru, Jamaica, uh, and next year, we're probably going to be in Kenya. And in these countries, there's no aversion to talking and discussing and thinking about God. At the same time, they're trying to learn about science. So when I can come and give these students one of these beautiful full-color books on the evidence for creation and tie astronomy and biology and geology and history back to what the Bible has to say, it's welcomed with open arms. And they've never heard this stuff because their textbooks also leave God out. And I just show them how it all fits together. But I'll ask the students this statement, which they've all heard about because these are previously Christianized nations where missionaries have been there 100 years ago, but they're drifting away from their faith, just like America's running away from its faith. I'll say, is this a statement of religion, or is this a statement of science? And in those school systems, the students love to respond, and about 90% will shout out or raise their hand and say, that's religion, because it involves God. And I'll ask them, how do you know unless you know what science is. And then I'll make it really simple. Science only has four things to work with and study. Time, energy, space, and matter. And how they interact. And by understanding how those things interact, 
we have been able to develop phenomenal understanding and control over creation. I mean, everything from the weapons laboratory over there at the, at the, the, the naval um, base to computers to putting man on the moon to automobiles to, to refrigeration, everything's based on the understanding of how those things interact. Does anybody see time in that first verse? In the beginning, and the students get it immediately. There can be no time unless there's a beginning of time. And by the way, we'll get into this later, but time is part of the physical universe. Time is part of what God made when he made everything. So God, not being part of the universe, if this box represents the universe, God's not part of the box. Time is part of the box. This is a really important thing we'll get into tomorrow morning during sermon time. Energy. You can't create anything without energy. How about space? That word in Hebrew for the heaven or the heavens is everything above the earth. Literally, it means space. And the earth is what you can touch, feel, see, and hear. It is matter. Um, so everything dealing with science is in the very first verse, and it tells us where it came from in a clear, straightforward way. And the world around us, friends, neighbors, even children, sent through the American education system become totally blinded to it. Now, here's what God tells us. It's a key verse for this whole creation emphasis session we're doing here. Romans 1, verses 19 and 20 say, that which be known about God is obvious to every human being. That's the them. Whether they live 4,000 years ago or today, whether they're a college professor or someone on the street, whether it's a child or an old man, what may be known about God is obvious to everything because it is clearly seen by what has been made, even God's very nature and power. So every human being is without excuse for belief in God and therefore without excuse for obeying God. Do you get the connection? Now, why are we without excuse? Because we can look at what he's made, and by observing it, we will know he made it. It couldn't have made itself. And yet that's what the world is bent on believing and teaching, that it all made itself. Now, about 20 years ago, Time Magazine had a magazine cover that said the great mysteries of science, and it really caught my attention. And they listed 20 of them. And I picked one from each of the major disciplines of science, things that have never been solved, but they, the world around us pretends that they've been solved. And one of them is the formation of the universe. Now, I'm going to come back to my box because this stuff is not rocket science. This is stuff that a three-year-old can understand. And by the way, the very first command of God to Adam and Eve, once he had made human beings, the only creatures in the universe capable of fellowshipping with him and having his very character of freedom to choose or freedom to deny, freedom to acknowledge the truth, freedom to deny the truth, are human beings. And his very first command was to take dominion over creation. Right at the end of chapter 1. He'd made them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and take dominion over it. Now, what's that word mean? It's an ancient translation of an ancient Hebrew word. 
Well, if you go to the roots of the ancient word that's been translated dominion, the roots of that word means to study, understand, and control. We are to study, understand, and control creation. Every human being has been given that command. You understand that is science? To observe how creation operates by studying it, and by doing that, we can control it and understand it. So there can't be a conflict between looking and observing of creation and science and the belief in God and God's Word, because He told us to do it. Why? So we would know He exists. And that's what we're going to get into here. The very most fundamental, most basic, most tested, most observed laws of science show us that evolution can't be true. So here's the universe. I'm holding the universe in my hand. All the stars, all the galaxies inside this box. There are all these jewels. Let's pretend these beautiful color, intricately crafted things are the animals. All the animals and all the life. It's all here. And there's only two possibilities for why it all exists. Either it made itself. The Big Bang is cosmic evolution. And chemicals coming together is chemical evolution. And one little form of bacteria mutating, and if those mutations are beneficial, changing into another kind of animal, and slowly changes into fish and changes into land animals and dinosaurs and birds and monkeys, and they get tired of hanging around in trees and eating bananas and just think, you know, if I could just plant barley and hops, I could brew beer and become a human being. Okay? Biological evolution. But you'll notice it all did itself. It's all because of just things just happen because the laws of nature happen to happen to be that way. And it's taught as a fact. Every one of them is taught as science. Now, if you remember nothing else from this evening, get this firmly locked in, in, in your intellect as you're discussing this in just friendly, interesting, casual, conversational ways with folks who have become blinded to a biblical viewpoint. This is not about science versus religion. It's about one faith versus another faith. One philosophical viewpoint versus another philosophical viewpoint. Both creation and naturalism. Evolution, whether it's cosmic evolution in the Big Bang or chemical evolution or biological evolution, it's all based on a philosophical belief. And they both look at science to see which one is true. But the thing is, science can never prove something for sure. And any real good scientist understands this. All it can do is prove what can't be true. And then whatever's left, if more and more information supports it, is essentially established as a scientific law. So you have the two options. The box made itself or... The box has a box maker. Now, that's not non-scientific. It's actually very, very logical, and neither one can be proven in a scientific laboratory because science is based on reproducible experimental testing and evidence, and nobody can go back in time. So it's all based on assumption and inferences, which one you choose to believe. So how can we know? How can God hold us accountable for knowing, which is what the Bible says? because of the laws of science, the observation that show what's possible and what's not. You see, the, well, let me just back up. I want to back up. 
want to show you a little video clip I found on YouTube of a cosmologist, PhD scientist, very smart, very intelligent person. This is not about stupid people versus smart people who has been her life studying where did everything come from. Now, she would put on this video the most significant evidence she could find about the Big Bang to try to convince people of the truth. Now, let me show you how she explains where did the box, where did everything come from. There we go. I'm Jana, and I'm a professor of physics and astronomy. I work on where it all started. The simplest picture of the Big Bang starts with nothing. There's really nothing. There's no space, there's no time, there's no matter, there's no energy. It's nothing but the potential to exist. And out of that bursts the universe. Time starts, space is created, all of the matter and the energy in the universe is born at that moment. In the first minute fraction of a second, the universe inflates. Okay, we're, that's enough. We're gonna stop right there, because I got a lot to cover. She, she's not a dumb person. You notice what she just said? Everything came from nothing. If you leave God out and you start with something, you can explain where the something came from. The Big Bang literally teaches and starts with the idea that a fluctuation in the time-space continuum, the quantum egg, just expansively exploded and turned into everything. Well, what is that stuff? Well, it's nothing. Now, the most tested law of science that covers every scientific discipline is called the first law, first law of thermodynamics in this case. And it says that matter and energy can never create or destroy itself. No human being with all of our knowledge and all of our money and all of our testing and all of our particle accelerators and everything we have ever done has made a single atom appear or disappear. It is the most established observation and law of all science. There's never been an exception. So we know the universe could never have made itself. We know the truth. Every test ever done establishes what is the truth. Something outside the universe had to have made the universe. And why do we put him in a box and limit him to say he had to have used natural process to have done it. That's philosophy. That's a belief. And that's exactly the opposite of what God has told us has happened. You see, the big issues here with these two philosophies is the entire big basket of evolution, cosmic, chemical, geological, biological evolution, it directly contradicts what God has told us and it doesn't work. The laws of science show us it can't be true. But if you leave God out, it's the only other option. See, there are no other options. The box made itself, or the box has a box maker. And if by law you can't talk about the box having a box maker, what are you going to talk about? And generation after generation is trained to think in a way that leaves God out. Now, after each of these big bucket items, that was just one example from cosmology, astronomy. I'll do another one on Monday night where I talk about star formation. I'm going to give an example of, so how can intelligent people be so blind? How, how can they see the law of science and then ignore it? Well, here's an example that I found, and I remembered it from my childhood 50 more, 55 years ago, 
when our churches would show these, with these little science films where the adults were having the church meeting. And I remember this old reel-to-reel film of this little video clip being shown, and it came back to me as I was trying to figure out how to explain to folks why the world around us is so blinded to the truth. Watch this little film. Oh, by the way, before I show it, I want to quote the father of modern psychology. This is Dr. William James. He invented the field of human psychology. How does the human brain come to beliefs and conclusions and everything that follows from those beliefs and conclusions? And after a life of studying humans, this is what he came to conclude. Nothing is too absurd to be believed if it's simply repeated often enough. You'd believe nothing can turn into everything if that's all you ever hear over and over and over again, even if you're a brilliant scientist, and that's the world around us today. Now watch this little example of that. Hey, it's me, Destin. Welcome back to Smarter Every Day. You've heard people say it's just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it, right? Everything changed, but though, I... when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses, and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle, and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike, ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Destin Salem. First attempt riding the bicycle. I couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. The algorithm that's associated with riding a bike in your brain is just that complicated. Think about it. Downwards force on the pedals, leaning your whole body, pulling and pushing the handlebars, gyroscopic precession in the wheels. Every single force is part of this algorithm. And if you change any one part, it affects the entire control system. I do not make definitive statements that often, but I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're going to try some trick or they're just going to power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. No, 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 no. No, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. <laughs> All right, so uh, whatever you're in, yeah. No, no, you have to keep your feet on. <laughs> Just keep your feet on the pedals. Pedals on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> All right, one more time. One more time. Once you have a rigid way of thinking in your head, sometimes you cannot change that even if you want to. I stayed out here in this driveway and I practiced about five minutes every day. My neighbors made fun of me. I had many wrecks, but after eight months, this happened. One day I couldn't ride the bike and the next day I could. It was like I could feel some kind of pathway in my brain that was now unlocked. My son is the closest person to me genetically and he's been riding a normal bike for three years. 
I wanted to know how long it would take him to learn how to ride a backwards bike, so I told him if he learned how to ride a backwards bike, he could go with me to Australia and meet a real astronaut. Are you going to give up? No. Go ahead. This is how it starts. Look at this. This is such a big deal. Get up. You got it. Did you see his brain get it? So he in, how many weeks have we been doing this? Two weeks? In two weeks, he did something that took me eight months to do, which demonstrates that a child has more neuroplasticity, am I even saying that right, than an adult. It's clear from this experiment that children have a much more plastic brain than adults. That's why the best time to learn a language is when you're a young child. I felt like the only person on the planet who had ever unlearned how to ride a bike, and I couldn't articulate it to anyone because everybody just knew that you can't forget how to ride a bike. So I learned three things from this experiment. I learned that welders are often smarter than engineers. I learned that knowledge does not equal understanding. And I learned that truth is truth, no matter what I think about it. So be very careful how you interpret things because you're looking at the world with a bias, whether you think you are or not. I'm Destin, you're getting smarter every day. Have a good one. Now, th that was funny, but it's incredibly significant. He knew exactly what to do. All he had to do was turn the handlebars in the opposite way and lean the opposite way than he normally would. But he couldn't get himself to do it. He couldn't follow through on what he was being told was reality. His brain wouldn't let him act or think in that way. It took him eight months to retrain his brain. See, our entire culture is being trained to think and believe and act in a way as if God doesn't even exist. And their, their brain just gets locked into that. And even when you put something in front of them that says what you believe can't possibly be true, the faith system that they have developed, the philosophical belief that they've been, they've been immersed in, doesn't allow them to even consider it. That's what's going on all around us. Meanwhile, God's word is being totally rejected and we're surprised when increasing generation of students walk away from the faith every generation more and more so to the point we're down where only about 10% of students coming out of college say they want to have anything to do with Christian belief right now in, the, in our culture. That's where we're at. And what does God tell us? He says, trust the Lord with all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding because you don't even know if what you've been taught to understand is actually true. You don't even know it. You can be totally blind to it. And that includes Christians. We're saved by accepting what God has done for our wretched sinfulness and acknowledging it and accepting his payment on our behalf. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Not after we cleaned up our act. And we drag into our Christianity all sorts of misconceptions. And we will twist and distort God's word to fit our conceptions. It happens continuously to each of us. God says, no, trust my word. Don't lean on your understanding. And then your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. Or more bluntly and to the point, God's word is the lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. And by the way, the verses like that, Fill the Bible from cover to cover, leaning on his word and his understanding and not ours, because he's given us the capacity to deceive ourselves if we choose to. Otherwise, we were just biological robots. Now, jumping ahead to the next one, 
And this one's even more astounding. I'm going to talk about the formation of life tonight. I'm going to talk about the, bi the biological examples of the intricacy of life tomorrow morning. But the simplest cell is more complex than the most complicated machine mankind has ever built. Even a bacteria, the simplest form of living life that can reproduce copies, has thousands of parts, individual designed parts. Think of a watch or a computer and all the mechanical parts. Every one of them is an exact shape designed with an exact function, a three-dimensional shape. And not one of these parts in a living organism is ever found all by itself that's made itself. These parts are only made inside of already existing living cells. Now, let me demonstrate. The most common molecule in life, whether it's a bacteria or some cell in our bodies, is called a protein. Now, what's a protein? A protein is a long chain represented by these beads. Now, there happens to be 20 different color beads in this chain. Hang on a second. I'm going to put it down here so it doesn't fall. But they're lined up in exact order so that if I put a red bead followed by a blue bead followed by a pink bead followed by a, a clear bead, it'll start to bend and fold and twist and it'll just keep folding depending on where I place the beads. Think of them as Lego blocks. Let's pretend that I had 20 different shaped Lego blocks. Some of them rectangular, some of them square, some of them thick, some of them thin. And they're all 20 different specific shapes. By taking those shapes and putting them in a very specific order, I could turn those 20 blocks into an airplane. I could put them in a different order, and I could turn them into a little automobile. A different order might be a wall. A different order might be a house. Just the same 20 blocks placed in different orders forms a different geometrical shape. You understand? That's what God has done with these beads called amino acids. There's 20 different shaped amino acids. They're not different colors, actually different shapes. And by linking them in a certain way, the whole molecule starts to bend and twist to form exactly the right shape. Now, let me show you what one of these proteins looks like. Okay, here's one protein, and every Lego block, every single one has to be in exactly the right spot. If it's not, this whole protein molecule doesn't form the correct three-dimensional shape to work inside of the cell. Now, all evolution has is blind chance. Suppose I have 20 different Lego blocks that I blindfold myself and have gloves on so I can't feel them, and I reach in and I grab them and I start putting them together. Do you think it's going to turn out looking like an airplane? Not even one. I couldn't even get one of the proteins the right shape. And that's what statistics shows us. It is a scientific impossibility for even one of the thousands of proteins to have ever formed itself. And even when scientists spend billions of dollars and hundreds of years in thousands of laboratories trying to get chemicals to come together, and they cheat by starting with chemicals that are only made inside of living cells. The result is always the same 100% of the time. Chemicals never come alive. We know the truth. 
The intelligence of God is beyond our wildest comprehension. He's designed a thousand Lego structures that all fit together to form a living cell that not only lives, but makes it reproduces copies of itself. And the, it's like an enormous internet system where every part of the structure is talking and communicating with other parts of the structures. And there's little roads inside of there. There's energy-producing factories. There's libraries of information. There's vehicles that move the needed chemicals around. There's barriers to let the right stuff in and the wrong stuff out, keep the wrong stuff out. And it all has to be there. Every single protein or none of it works. And if one... One of the Lego blocks is in the wrong spot. There's a disease called sickle cell anemia, where hemoglobin is one of these proteins, and it has one of the beads in the wrong spot. And the whole molecule now flattens itself out so it doesn't carry oxygen very well. And the average lifetime 100 years ago was two years if you had sickle cell anemia. And now with lots of drugs and blood transfusions and all sorts of medicine, the average age is in the 40 to 50 year range. And you have all sorts of issues your whole life because of one bead in the wrong place in one protein. And our bodies have an estimated 100,000 different proteins. God has made the truth so obvious. His awesomeness is inconceivable, and yet the world is blind to it all. Now this is where I'm going to show, well, let me show you one more quick example, just because there's so many of them. They found a bacteria about 10 years ago and started studying it because it was really unique. And at the back of the bacteria, it had seven perfectly formed purple gears. Now, each of those gears would be like one protein that's caused it to form that shape. Surrounding it's 21 green gears, and they're arranged in the perfect size, shape, and location so that it causes all of the little hair-like structures hanging off the back of the gears to turn at the same speed in the same direction. So it's set up like a multi-propellered little, uh, you know, outboard motor on the bacteria so it can swim around and find things. But what drives those purple gears? It took them 10 years, 10 years, or probably millions of dollars of study, and they pulled apart all the proteins and figured out how they were placed, and they realized there is an exact replica of, of, of an electric motor that mankind would build to drive a fan at the back of each one of those purple gears. It has 40 parts. So it's 40 of these proteins. Each one of them, every Lego block in the right spot, so it has the perfect three-dimensional shape. One of those proteins creates a positive charge. Another one creates a negative charge. That gets it to spin at 20,000 RPM. It can stop in a quarter turn. And you can put a 1,000 of these motors, no, I'm sorry, 10,000. You can put a 1,000 bacteria in the width of a human hair, and you can put 10 of those motors in the width of a, of a, of a bacteria. So you can put 10,000 motors in the width of a human hair, 10,000 of them in that little space. And all 40 parts have to be there or nothing works. You're starting to see how obvious the truth is it would take someone from an insane asylum to look at that and say, wow, that just made itself from by random change. It, we know it could never happen. And yet the world around us is trained. If you leave God out, evolution had to have made it. Now, they haven't proven that. It's just assumed to be true. 
Because the only alternative is that God supernaturally made it, and he had to have made it all together and all at once. Because you can't just make part of it or nothing works. You get it? Just like he said, different kinds of creatures made after their own kind. Now, here's the second example of, of showing how people can be so blind to this. And this is the one I was referring to. I first watched this 60 years ago. This film is 60 years old, and it still impacted me to this day. Watch what happens as a scientist explores how does the human mind work. For example, if seeing were done only in the eye, everything would be upside down to us. Just as in a camera, the lens of the eye forms the image upside down. The image is then inverted by the brain so that it appears right side up. Now, what would happen if a lens system were used to form the image right side up? Well, the brain would immediately invert the image so that it would be upside down. But would this condition be permanent? To answer this question, we asked Mr. Gratz, our optical expert, to design for us a pair of inverting spectacles. While the spectacles were being constructed in our shop, we faced the problem of who was going to wear the things continuously for several weeks. You'll want to meet our unlucky winner. That's right, me. Even from the first, it was possible to walk in this topsy-turvy fashion. But it didn't take long to develop a rollicking case of seasickness. We decided that for your sake as well as ours, we'd better conduct our first test sitting down. However, just sitting down wasn't so easy. Even the simplest tasks were at first impossible. No amount of concentration or effort could overcome the compulsion to reach in the wrong direction. The inverting spectacles had to be worn every waking moment during the entire period of the experiment. Anytime the glasses were removed, the eyes were closed or fully covered. Walking to work upside down was an exhausting experience but it provided a valuable period of relearning and reorientation. It also caused quite a stir in the neighborhood. Gradually, it became easier to get around in this upside-down world. By a slow and painful process, the image in the brain had been erected. Now, I left out part of the film. Um, he actually showed himself flying an airplane with the glasses on, riding a motorcycle. He could obviously now see right side up. Now, it wasn't like after a week, you know, he started to see things at 45 degrees. And after 10 days, things are like he's seeing them, and they're now at 70 degrees. He wakes up after about two weeks, takes off the mask, puts on the glasses, opens his eyes, and now everything's right side up when he's looking through the glasses. What is going on? It's like, this is what's happening. His brain is getting in information, okay? It's saying, everything's the opposite of what I know to be true. Everything's upside down when I know it's right side up. But day after day, enormous amounts of data is coming into his brain. He knows it's supposed to be right side up, but it's upside down. It's, supposed to, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. After two weeks, his brain decides, what is the opposite of what I know to be true must now be the truth. What used to be 180 degrees backwards now is what is real and right. 
That's what our brains are capable of. It can take something that is totally absurd and we will believe it's absolutely true if it's all we ever hear over and over and over and over again. And it, it's the way our brains are actually built. It's not even part of the fall. Because if we could never not know the truth, we wouldn't have the choice to believe it or not. So God built us with the ability to choose to believe it or not. But then he warns us, if you choose to believe what's not the truth, your heart will become hardened. The Bible talks about that all over the place. It warns us in the New Testament, cast down imaginations, things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Bring into captivity every thought in obedience with Christ. And by the way, Jesus associates himself with the very word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became man and dwelt among us. The Bible is so central to reality that when we leave it out, we become oblivious to reality, and we see it happening all around us. That's why these whole seminars are so important. This isn't just about a bunch of scientific evidence. This is about the trustworthiness and the importance of the Word of God. And it's central to everything else. Last example, and this is the geological sciences. And this is what has the stranglehold on the most people of all. Because it was the misinterpretation of geology, that slow, gradual grain of sand changes out of time over millions and billions of years is what created the rock layers and the rivers and the formations and the fossils of the world in the late 17 up into the early 1800s and it became as accepted as an established fact of reality that drove Charles Darwin to believing that slow little changes in biology could change a bacteria into a human being. It's the same concept. And it's just as wrong as believing nothing can turn into everything or, or believing that chemicals could come alive. But nobody has a time machine to see how did these things happen. But the Bible tells us it spends more time talking about the world-covering deluge of the time of Noah than the formation of the entire universe and all of life. More chapters, more verses, more references to the worldwide flood. You see, when God makes something crystal clear and he repeats it over and over, it's because it's really important. And if we leave it out, we will misinterpret things. We will misinterpret the very character of God. And that's what this time frame of billions of years does. You see, that flood would have covered the whole earth. And we're going to talk more about that later. But it would have devastated this planet. It would have ripped up every tree, every blade of grass, every animal, and buried them under billions of trillions of tons of sediment, creating layers of rock rapidly, not over millions of years, but over months, and trillions of fossils. Extensive rock layers would have formed that weren't there before. Sedimentary rock, coal, limestone, sandstone, shale, etc. It would have created massive coal fields as animals and plants were buried and carbonized without being turned back into soil. And by the way, 
Nobody digs up a fossil. This is a trilobite. It's a sea creature. We found millions of them. There were probably billions of them alive in the ocean before the flood. They were all buried under the sediment, and it's turned to solid rock. It wasn't rock when it was alive. When a tree dies in the forest, it doesn't turn into a rock. When you bury your dog, it doesn't turn into a rock. Fossils with rare, 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 almost no exception, turn into rocks when things die today. And yet the rock layers are filled with billions of fossils and enormous coal seams because it happened during the flood recently when conditions were very different. And as the water rushed off the newly laid on land surfaces, it would have dug out enormous canyons, carried massive amounts of sediments off the new continental surfaces, and they would have been in the continental shelves. And 200 miles out around all the continents, there's enormous amounts of rubble that have been washed off the continents, and then it would drop down into the deep ocean basins. All this happened during the flood. Now, that's the biblical model, but how do we know if it's true? How do we use science to know? Are those rock layers billions of years old? Is life hundreds of millions of years old? Or is all those fossils formed during the flood of Noah, only about 4,500 years ago? Because nobody has a time machine, and nobody can go back into the past. It's all interpretation based on starting assumptions. Slow, gradual processes or massive worldwide catastrophe. You'll come to two different conclusions. Well, here's what God has done to make it unbelievably clear. In the year 2000, a graduate student named Mary Schweitzer, and she later got her PhD, uh, and during her work, she was studying a fossil, a Tyrannosaurus rex that came out of the Wyoming area. Well, the femur, the biggest bone, broke as it was being extracted, and she said in her report later, it smelled like rotted garbage, like rotted flesh. But if that bone had been in the ground for 60 million years, how could it still smell like garbage? That was the question in her mind. So she was very curious, and she got permission to dissolve away part of the, the solid rock fossil to see, is there any tissue still left inside? Here's one of the things she said. This is out of Science Magazine. In, uh, actually, uh, that, that's, that isn't the right date because it was actually um, 2003. I need to correct that. She said, I got goosebumps. It was exactly like looking at a slice of modern bone. I couldn't believe it. Those bones are 65 million years old. See, she's been trained to ride her bicycle in only one possible way. Millions of years, billions of years, millions of years, billions of years. The evolution is a fact, evolution is a fact, evolution is a fact. And the two go hand in hand. So she can't even consider any other possibility. By the way, if she did and started to teach it, she would be immediately fired from the university and not allowed to admit. No, she would. Don't laugh. There's documented dozens and dozens of cases of graduate students and professors and high school teachers and others who will teach something contrary to evolution and they are removed from their jobs. Occasionally, teachers can get away with it, but someone complains and they're out of there. How could blood cells survive that long? So here's what was in her report from 2005. This is cartilage. It was so stretchy that when she stretched it, it would snap right back. Here's undecayed capillaries with undecayed red blood cells inside. Now, each of these are proteins. The red blood cells, a bunch of different proteins. The blood vessels, different proteins. The cartilage is different proteins. And it was so undecayed, it still had elasticity. 
2005. Now, she was under tremendous attack from the scientific community when she put out this report that it was just contamination, it was some sort of bacteria, it was some sort of just biological slime. Well, she was interviewed in the midst of all this controversy, and I want you to listen to what she describes, because she knows what it is, okay? She went on to do tests, later proved it was reptilian proteins, she proved there were fragments of DNA still left. And by the way, we know how fast proteins decay. All these things are very, very fragile, and they're protected by mechanisms in the cell, and they're repaired by the living cells. But as soon as you die, all the little Lego blocks start flying apart. Just ozone and oxygen and sunlight and air start to degrade them. And the beads start flying apart and flying apart. In, in laboratory conditions, the life of a protein to where even a couple of the amino acids are still hanging together are in the range of 10 to 20,000 years. Out in the wild, it would be way less than that with all sorts of different things going on to de degrade it. So she knows these things can't last that long. Listen to what she says as she's being interviewed. The scientific world is still reeling from the discovery of actual Tyrannosaurus rex cells and soft tissue unearthed last week at a Montana excavation site. Thank you for having me. So, is that amazing to find this kind of soft tissue in a fossil this old? And what can the soft tissue really tell us? Um, well, it is, it is it's very amazing. It's uh, utterly shocking, actually, because it flies in the face of everything that we understand about how tissues well, and cells degrade. Well, it's 70 million years old. You don't expect to find soft tissue, do you? Not at all. No, it's, it was utterly shocking. So you have to sort of rewrite the book as far as fossilization goes, I, I assume. Well, that's, that's the exciting part for me. I've always been very intrigued by how, uh, how things change in going from a living being to part of the rock record. And um, like I said, a lot of our science doesn't allow for this. All of the chemistry and all of the molecular breakdown experiments that we've done. You know, well, okay, I'm just going to pause it right there. All of the chemistry... All of our molecular breakdown experiments show that tissue can't be there, show these molecules can't, couldn't have survived that long by orders of magnitude. They would be going within 10,000 years, let alone a million, let alone 60 million. Okay? So we know the truth. We absolutely know, based on all our tests and all our observations, those dinosaur bones can't be millions of years old. That means those rock layers can't be millions of years old. They were buried during Noah's flood, 4,500 years ago. And we're misinterpreting. You leave out what God tells us, you're guaranteed to misinterpret the past. It's all storytelling. It's not science versus religion. It's one philosophy that refuses to even consider the possibility that God is real and the Bible means what it says versus another religion that says God has revealed the truth of the past to us in his divine inspired word. And he tells us to, to test him. We can look at what's been made and know the truth. And God is making the truth even more clear in our day and age than any time in history. And I think it's because things are really close to being wrapped up. And that's God wants the truth to be known. Last example, and then we're wrapping up. Again, I ask, how can she be so blind? Well, she's been trained to ride her bicycle in the wrong way. She's, her brain has been trained to only view things in one possible way. But there's even more significant factor going on. I'm going to show you that in the last example. See, 
God's word tells us that all human beings are like sheep. We've gone astray. The natural human bent is to hide from God. Ever since Adam sinned, this was his first response, hide from God. We do it today by pretending God doesn't even exist. It's going on all around us. And like sheep, we just kind of listen to everybody else with the bad, bad, bad. We think what they think. Why do you think advertising is so successful? Why do you think advertisers spend billions of dollars? Because it influences us. Why do you think polls come out before elections? Because it influences how people vote. It's just the way we are. Let me show you this last example of how that can happen, even with something that's just totally absurd. Volume up on this one. And this is the last video, and then we'll wrap up. And here she is, right on time for her 12 o'clock appointment. Hi, how are you doing? This woman thinks she's here for a free eye exam. Have you been here before? No, it's my first time. What she doesn't know is that everyone else in this room is working for us. They'll be with you in just a couple minutes. Today, we're running an experiment on social conformity, and the test starts now. Did you hear that? These people sure did. It doesn't take long for our test subject to notice a pattern. Beep means stand up. But why? And if you were in her shoes, what would you do the next time the tone sounds? To answer that question, we set up a hidden camera experiment to see if this woman would stand up at the sound of this tone, simply because everyone else is. You might be thinking you'd never go along with this. Or would you? After just three beeps, and without knowing why she's doing it, this woman is now conforming perfectly to the group. But what happens if we take the group away? Elaine, please. Okay, now she's alone, the crowd is gone, and nobody is watching her, except our hidden cameras. What do you think she'll do? She's now conforming to the rules of the group without them even being there. Now, watch what happens when we introduce another outsider who doesn't know the rules. Have a seat and they'll be out in just a couple minutes. Great, thanks. thanks so much. Think she'll teach the new guy what to do?
We kept the cameras rolling as more unsuspecting patients arrived. And slowly but surely, what began as a random rule for this woman has now become the social norm for everyone in this waiting room. Why even this rebel, who wasn't standing for any of this nonsense, eventually joined the ranks. And the only thing more shocking than seeing how easily conformity affects the way you act is that similar forces are subconsciously shaping the way you think. Similar forces shape the way we think. You start to understand why our schools, public school system is such a battleground. In 1990, Georgia passed a law because they were very, at that point a uh, very um, Christian-involved uh, uh, people in charge of, uh, of everything. And they said, you need to put a sticker on the biology books that say and inform the students that evolution is a theory, not a fact. That's it. That's all the law said. You've got to inform students that evolution is a theory, not a fact. The Supreme Court threw that out and said, you can't put that sticker there because you're promoting religion. But they're right. Because the only alternative to everything made itself is that God made things. So if you cast doubt on the idea of evolution, the only thing left is God. And look at how it's fought tooth and nail. Because if you can train people to think in a certain way, and everybody around them is doing and thinking in that way, more and more people just join in to the point ultimately you take over society. That's what's going on all around us. And it starts with leaving God out. Then you can make up your own rules of morality and everything else. And by the way, then everything is going to turn to anarchy and deteriorate. And that's the direction we're heading. And it comes back to this issue. Now, let me show you how evolutionists justify this as, as we kind of wrap up. There's an experiment called Miller's Experiment, 1952, that supposedly shows students how life could have formed. And they took methane and ammonia and various gases, and they added like an explosion, a spark of energy, and they got a few of the Lego blocks, like a few of these beads. Now, to make a useful protein, you have to have all 20 Lego blocks, all 20 different colors. They've only, in 70 years, succeeded in making eight of the different Lego blocks by random chance. So if you found a Lego plane sitting there that had 20 different blocks and it was the perfect shape of an airplane, and you could only show how six of those Lego blocks ever developed, and you left oxygen out, and, we, and there's reasons to know oxygen's always been here on Earth, and they got the wrong varieties of Lego blocks, and you only made six of them, and you said, see, because I could make six of those Lego blocks, I've now proven how that airplane made itself. Have you? Not at all. You haven't even come close. That's how deceptive the education system is. It gets you partway there, and it implies or says that proves we could get all the way there. The same with that dinosaur tissue. Since 2005, Mary Schweitzer's kept working on it, and she knows chemically that if you can attach iron to a protein, it's like capping the ends of it with this real big cap, the protein will last longer. So she chemically reacted 
iron from hemoglobin. She added clotting, anti-clotting agents so that the blood wouldn't clot. She, she modified and burst open the blood cells so the iron would be released. She did all these things that could never happen in nature. And then she showed that these proteins would last maybe 10 times longer. So instead of 10,000 years, they might last 100,000 years. So now every student will Google, how did dinosaur tissue get preserved? It'll say iron from the blood preserved that, those proteins. It's not true. It couldn't, it's not even remotely true. And yet it's repeated over and over and over again as if it's true. And people just believe it because they don't dig into the details. And the experts just justify the belief. Well, if we've gotten partway there, that proves that someday we'll get all the way there. Does that make it science or does that make it a belief system? It's a belief system. And that happens over and over and over again. And what does God tell us? Do not be conformed to this world. And it's not talking about our actions. Because look at the next statement. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew our mind? With the Word of God. That's how we renew our mind. We renew our spirit and our soul with salvation, but we renew our mind with God's Word. And it's only by starting with God's Word we'll know the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And who wouldn't want to do that? See, the world is bent on escaping accountability of God. We all are. As sinners, that's our natural bent. And evolution and the enormous time frame that goes with it allows us to do that. And it's all fantasy. It's not science. It's not reality. It's simply a religious philosophy. And it's a dogma. Nothing will ever be presented that's enough to change someone's mind who's blocked into the belief of believing some natural process did it all. And sadly, so many Christians just want to combine what can't be true with God's Word and saying that solves the problem. God just used evolution. Well, it contradicts God's Word, and scientifically it can't be right. Now, the resources out there, and I'm going to talk about more of them tomorrow night. I'm just going to talk about a few. Those devotionals are just everyday, fun, interesting examples of creation, of how we can know the truth, and they're easy to share, and I think that's why they're so powerful. The one, each night I'm going to talk about a different one. The one I'm going to talk about tonight, each of those examples that you just saw of, of how the people around us can be so blinded, and by the way, I think if you can't answer that question to people, and you give them a bunch of evidence for creation, they're just going to hear a whole bunch more evidence that seems to support evolution, and they're going to see that the vast majority believe it, and they're going to think, well, then it must be true. We've got to help them understand how they become so conditioned to not see what's right in front of their faces. So I produced an 18-part video series. I found a young man right out of college, a young Christian homeschooled man, who was doing his final project in videography. That was his degree to produce a documentary, and he wanted to do it on creation. And he interviewed me, and I asked him what he was doing after he got done, and he said he had a job, but it fell through, and he was going to freelance. And I presented that for five years, I'd been wanting to take 30 years of teaching and turn it into a video curriculum, where there was like, I, I initially thought I'd do 12 
45-minute sessions, one on geology, one on the age of the earth, one on dinosaurs, one on genetics, one on astronomy. It's turned into 19 of them. And I spent $10,000 filming each one of these because we went to the Grand Canyon and Mount St. Helens and Mount Rushmore and science museums. We had a drone footage. We had an original animation. We had all sorts of nature footage, music. If you've ever seen the credits behind a movie, you know, this young man did it all except for myself and film, you know, the laying it out. And I, I took five years. So I've spent $200,000. I put all of those videos on a flash drive. And each, most of them end with one of these neat little examples of how people can be so blinded. Video is the powerful media of today. If you would sit down with your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your children or friends and say, I got this great science film that just shows how God's involved in science, but it's mostly about science. Just take 45 minutes and watch it with me, and then we'll talk about it. You know, some of them say, say, I don't have time. They're not interested. You know, they're conditioned to ride their bike, and that's, they already think that's absurd. But it, it'll be the key to a lot of people. Um, now, they're back there. I, now, normally I sell these for $40. The church is actually saying, no, you're not going to sell anything. If people will put them to use. We'll just have them take them, and they can make a donation. Now, you don't have to donate that much, and I don't think I probably brought enough of them, but we can always make more and send them over. But they're phenomenal for just showing people this evidence. Two years ago, and I'll show you a couple of these tomorrow, I started making two and three minute little videos. And if you go to my website and you, and you sign up, they're called Without a Doubt. How can we have no doubt God exists? And they're just fun, interesting things like pages of these devotionals where it brings them to life with videos and, and, and films. And uh, there's 60 of those on here. So 19 45 minute teachings, 60 little videos and a documentary of what happens when we teach creation in these foreign schools. It's all on the flash drive in HD quality, like Blu-ray quality. So put them to use, not just for yourselves, but share them with others. And I want to show you a little quick clip of one of the kind of a teaser for one of the videos so you kind of see what the quality of them is like. Uh, and then we'll end with questions. So these are called the rocks cry out. Because Jesus said, if you deny who, that I am creator, the very rocks will cry out. And that's what's going on today. So watch this little 40-second clip. This one's on the age of the earth. To pretend that God has always had death and disease and bloodshed and extinctions in this creation is a very distortion of what God's Word says. I often hear people say, well, it really doesn't matter when God created as long as I acknowledge that God is creator. God tells us that creation is not just good, but very good. There is method after method after method after method of determining how old are things, and time after time, they show a recent creation. The central emphasis of everything 
is life began on Earth 4.5 billion years ago. That is the foundation of the whole philosophy of evolution and naturalism. We've got to go around an established system of training people to think in only one possible way. Millions and billions of years, evolution is a fact, and show them the beauty and reality of the evidence that supports a true biblical creation model of why we exist. So just want to give you a little teaser. And um, by the way, if, if scientists can be so wrong about where the universe came from, and they are based on observations of science, and so wrong about where life came from, and they are based on all experimentation we've ever done, don't assume they're right when they talk about these huge ages. In these videos, I talk about radiometric and radiocarbon dating and the assumptions and how they come to their conclusions and so on. And the evidence is there. Uh, we just have to educate ourselves and then educate others. So that's where I want to wrap up. I want to thank you for the time this evening, and we'll do questions. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Bruce. Uh, just to kind of give us an idea, um, first of all, my name is Dion, so thank you for joining us here tonight. Uh, just to let all of you guys know, if you are new to Crossroads, what we normally do on Saturday evening after service is have a time of questions and that we're going to answer. Um, I know that probably many of you have a ton of questions for Bruce. Does anybody in the house have any questions for Bruce? Where did all the water that created the flood Great come question. from? Great question. Um, the, the, the Bi Go back to the Bible as, as a starting point. It doesn't give exhaustive knowledge, but it gives a framework to start to understand the past and things. It says the fountains of the great deep broke forth. And the whole earth has this split in it. I mean, there's a mid-Atlantic ridge where from the North Pole all the way down to Argentina through the middle of the Atlantic, and then running up through California all the way to Alaska, there's a ring of fire where the earth literally has split open. So enormous amounts of, of lava and magma must have poured up out of the earth. By the way, every volcanic eruption has enormous amounts of water vapor pouring out with us. So underneath the earth, the original creation, I suspect there was lots of water and also lots of magma. When God brought judgment upon a totally sinful mankind, and that flood is an act of God. You don't have to have some natural cause. He caused the flood to happen. And by the way, because God's outside of time, he knew Adam was going to sin. He knew mankind was going to become totally depraved. And he wanted there to be an example that sin brings absolute agony and destruction and death. So he brought it in a way so that flood locked death into every rock layer across the entire earth for all of time in all locations. And all we have to do is look down and see death and know we brought that upon ourselves. Our sin brought this upon the planet. So the water poured out from underneath the planet. That magma is shoving water up out of the ocean basins. And it is flowing across the continents that existed before the flood. Now, there's also enormous amounts of evidence that the continents had to have shifted and moved in position. That flood waters did not have to cover Mount Everest or, or Mount Whitney because the Rockies did not exist before the flood. The Himalayas did not exist before the flood. The Alps did not exist before the flood. The Andes did not exist before the flood. They're all made at the tops of the mountains 
from sedimentary rock filled with sea creatures, seashells. So the tops of the mountains were underwater at some point in earth history. Nobody denies this. Those who hold on to the old time frame just believe the continents were moving over hundreds of millions of years. And like Europe is moving away from North America at like about the width of a fingernail each year, you know, about a fourth of an inch each year. So they divide the width of the Atlantic Ocean by a fourth of an inch per year, and they say it's taken 200 million years for those continents to move apart. Well, that's not a fact. That's an assumption. There's reasons I don't have time to get into that the continents would have been moving very rapidly, probably at miles per hour during the flood. India slams up into Asia probably a month, four, five, or six, and it shoves up the Himalaya Mountains. All those sediments have been laid down over those earlier months. You're starting to follow the biblical picture. So where did all the water come from? It was pushed up out of the original oceans and from deep subterranean sources. Where did it go to? As the continents rose at the end of the flood and the ocean basin sank, it flowed back down into the oceans. Here's a fact of science. If you just smoothed out the earth so the mountains weren't so high and the oceans weren't so deep and it was just a smooth globe, the entire earth would be covered with 8,000 feet of water. The entire globe. Wow. That's how much water there is on the earth. There's more than enough water to flood this entire globe. It's just, it has shifted around both during and after the flood where the ocean sank, the land masses rose up. And by the way, one of the Psalms of David say that. The mountains rose up, the valleys sank down, and the waters returned from whence they came. It's talking about the flood. So that give you a little better picture of what was happening and all that water during the flood. I have trouble just doing like a 10-word summary because <laughs> I try okay. to teach while I'm answering these questions. Uh, so do you feel climate change? What do you feel about that? What do you well, think? it always comes up, especially yeah. with young people, especially with junior high, high schoolers. They're, they're trying to figure out, well, what about the climate? Because over the last two decades, the, the education system has worked the next generation into a fervor that the planet's about to be destroyed. Uh, we're told that you know, the, 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 the land masses are going to be flooded with water. The, 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 the polar caps are going to be totally melted. It's not beyond comprehension and possibility that mankind's activities have changed our climate. It, it could be. But there's also data that seems to show that when, you know, when this whole thing started back in the 80s and 90s, it was called global warming. But then there was a 10-year period where all the, the indicators seemed to indicate things had gotten colder for 10 years in a row, ever so slightly. So they changed it to climate, the, the whole terminology to climate change. I get really suspicious of things like that. We've also shown there was a little mini ice age uh, back in the 1400s, and there were warming periods at other times, way beyond what we see today. The real climate change was during the global flood. That flood with enormous amounts of magma pouring out of the ocean and massive amounts of frictional heat from continents moving would have heated the oceans not just a few degrees, like we're talking about now. You know, within 50 years, the oceans might be two degrees warmer. They would have heated it dozens and dozens of degrees. At the end of the flood, best estimate those oceans would have been 60 to 70 degrees in the Antarctic and, in, you know, and up, up in the polar caps. 70 degree ocean water. 
we find trees that have grown in Antarctica that are like three foot in diameter, entire forests that have been just grown and now they're gone. When? After the flood, there would have been an incredible warm climate worldwide. And it would have taken hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for those ocean waters to cool down and cool down and cool down. And by the way, that is the ice age period of the earth because the weather patterns of the world are driven by ocean water temperature. And that's true. That is a concern. As oceans change and we've got El Ninos, we get different weather patterns. Well, much warmer ocean means more evaporation. That water's got to go somewhere. It's going to come down as snow in the northern latitudes, rain near the equatorial regions. And you're going to have like lands flowing with milk and honey in Israel, where today it's a desert thousands of years ago. And you're going to have huge sheets of ice building up in the northern, north and southern latitudes. And week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, snow, 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 snow. That's climate change. So this earth has already seen enormous climate change, and it survived. And we're talking about one thousandth or one ten thousandth of that magnitude of change, sending an entire generation into absolute panic. So I just think, put it in perspective, things do change. We do need to take care of creation. We, we're given dominion. We don't want to waste it. We don't want to pollute it. We don't want to destroy it. But let's keep it in a perspective of reality. Uh, as, as we use what God has given us. That's long answer to an easy question. All right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Big round. Yeah. <laughs>